If you have your Bible, please read in your presence the text for the message this morning, Ephesians chapter 2. Very short reading. Your bulletin says we will begin at verse 11, but I'd like to begin at verse 10 and read through our text in verse 13. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh, by the blood of Christ. We turn there in a moment for our message, if you will, before the message. Would you stand with me, please, again, and sing with me 254. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. My faith would lay her hand on that dear head of thine, while like a penitent I stand and there confess my sin. My soul looks up to see the burdens thou 
but it's bare when hanging on the cursed tree and hopes her guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse removed, we bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing His bleeding love. Thank you. Be seated. As you well know, it is very seldom indeed that I part from our continued exposition wherever we may be, and at this time we're in the book of Judges. But on rare occasions I do depart from it, and even rarer it is for me to turn to the New Testament. I checked listing on Sermon Audio and over the past year I have preached only twice from a New Testament passage. But I had the burden to turn to this text today and in conjunction with this text I want us to hear our Lord's words in another place as well. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you probably won't need to turn there. Very familiar text of Scripture, very familiar. But it is a text that I want us to hear in conjunction with our text of study. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things are become new. There is an outline of a sermon penned in the margin of my Bible. Mr. Noah and I were discussing this morning having things penned in the margin of your Bible. Many, many, many years ago, I used to preach from this text, and uh, I had this outline, and I've used it many times. I have no intention of using this outline at all this morning. But just so you know, in this second chapter of Ephesians, it can be outlined by taking note of the things that have changed once we know Christ. In verse 1, we were dead, but now we're alive. Much can be preached from that text. Secondly, in verse 13, we were once distant, but now we're close up. 
In verse 19, we were strangers, but now we're citizens. Also in verse 19, we were orphans, but now we're children adopted into the family. Simple outline it is, but useful. And some of you young men may choose to use it and preach it somewhere. It's glorious things. But I have no intention of that this morning. It's my interest this morning to unpack only the considerations that are stored up in that 13th verse. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I want for us to consider this text and uh, quite, I want to quite simply to ask four simple questions and answer them. I have learned, it's taken many years, but I have learned that the greatest preaching in all the ages is the preaching of simplicity. No desire to be complex, no desire to be impressive, simple. And many of the great sermons that I've read of men gone by, greatly used of the Lord, used this format for their sermons. They simply asked and answered simple questions. And I would use that method this morning. There's no attempt to be ingenious. Great men like B.M. Palmer, John Hill, <clears throat> and others. Simple, simple preaching. Now, please take note. I didn't say simplistic. <laughs> There's a difference between simple and simplistic. Much of what we hear today is simplistic. All the way to the extent of being, frankly, trite. I'm not talking about being simplistic. I'm talking about being simple. Four simple questions for you this morning to unpack this text. Verse 13. Question number one. How far off were we? <laughs> he said, ye who sometimes were far off, how far was far? How far was far off? The Greek word is the word makros. Those of you familiar with Greek will know the word. It literally means long, long distance. So if we were Macross, just exactly how far off were we in our sin? Because this term far may be a relative term, I want to help us to know this morning just how far was far. <clears throat> Number one, we were far away 
from the paradise of God. We know that, of course, and see that, of course, in Genesis chapter 3. We were far off when Christ found us in our sins, and he found us. When he came and found us in our sin, we were far away from the paradise of God. Genesis chapter 3, you know it well. Verse 22 and 24, Behold, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turn every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Because of our sin, because of Adam's sin, because of our sin, we are far off. And that from the very paradise of God's creative glory. Eden, everything that Eden represents to our minds. Conjure up the greatest image you will if you please. Everything that you conceive Eden to, Eden to have been. We were driven far from it. How far was far? Far was far away from the paradise of God. Number two, how far was far? Far. It was far away from the presence of God. Far away from the presence of God. You remember Adam was driven out, driven out in the great loss. By the way, the the definition of spiritual death is separation from God. Separation from his presence. Adam fled. Adam was driven out. We find, do we not, this word, this terrible word in 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Begin to read at verse 14. When Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, what meaneth the noise of this tumult? You know the scene in this chapter. The man came in hastily and told Eli. Now, now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were dim and he couldn't see. And the man said to Eli, I am he that came out of the army and fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been also great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons, Hophni and Pinios, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate. And his neck breaking, he died for he he was an old man and heavy and he judged Israel 40 years. And the daughter-in-law, his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed. And her pains came upon him about the time of her death. 
the woman that stood by said to her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered and said, Neither did he neither did she regard she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The bow is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken, and because her father in law and her husband was taken. Verse 22, and she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. What's she saying? The presence of God. That ark represented the presence of God. She said, The presence of God is gone. And when the Lord found us, when the Lord found us in our sin, that's where he found us. How far away were we? We were far away, away from the presence of God. This is one of the great missing elements in modern preaching. The gospel, the false gospel that they present, they come and come alongside the sinner and, and you'd think from the way they talk and the gospel that they present, that the sinner really wasn't all that far away from God. He just, he just, he just real, real near. Just need to help him just a little bit. If we just push him just a little bit, he's he's really not that far away. Oh no, we were far off, far off. How far? Far away from the paradise of God. Far away from the presence of God. Oh, listen to this now. Thirdly, we were far away from the possibility of God. Far away from the possibility of even knowing Him. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. Matthew 25. But you come down to verse 46. For sake of time, I'll not read the whole context. You know the context. He has preached to them. He said, I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. They said, Lord, when have we ever seen you naked or a stranger? When did you ever have a need? He said what he said. And then he says in verse 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous said to life, everlasting. How far are they going? Brother Suttles, how far are they going? Oh, they're going away. They're going away and everlastingly they'll be apart from the presence of God. Revelation chapter 14. And verse 9, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in the image and receive the mark on his forehead or in his hand, and the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast. Whatever your ecclesiology, sorry, your eschatology, it matters not to me. This scene makes no point of it at all. 
The point of this scene is the hell, the hell that they've been sent to, the everlasting was Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's no possibility that they'll ever come back. No possibility. How far away is the sinner preacher? He's far away from the possibility of God. Of ever knowing him. You remember that text. And again I'm not interested. In your. Hermeneutical squabblings. About whether Luke 16. Is a parable or it's literal. Or it's. It's true whatever it is. Luke 16. Verse 25 and 26. Talked about that. Great gulf. You remember. He said to Abraham. So, oh he said let me tell you. There's a great gulf between where you are and where he is. There's no possibility you'll span this gulf. How far away were we? How far away were we? Oh, we were far away from the paradise God created. We were far away from the presence of the God who created it. We were far away from the possibility of ever knowing this God. That's how far off we were. Far off. My cross. But now. <laughs> oh, could you just look at verse 13 again? But now. Oh, hallelujah. Can you read those words? And I shall not rise up in your soul. But now. Oh, can I say to you, this is the greatest but now in all the Bible. <laughs> you see, the but now of Romans 3 and verse 21 speaks only of the law and faith. And the but now in Romans 16 verse 26 speaks only of the universal proclamation of the gospel. <laughs> but this but now speaks of the transformation of the very soul from darkness to light, from death to life. It speaks of the manumission from thraldom to glorious liberty. It speaks of the regeneration from death to life. It speaks of the exaltation from slavery to mastery. Oh, the very creation of a new heart. This but now that occupies the theme of the heavenly choir in Revelation 5 and verse 9. This is the but now that occupies their song. This is the but now that lifts my feet from sinking sand and sets my feet on a solid rock. This is the but now that turns my crying into laughter, my sorrowing into rejoicing, my pain into patience. This is the but now that will carry me over Jordan and I'll fear no evil. Psalm 23, hallelujah. But now, now, but now I was far off. Yes, 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 but now, but now.
But now, hallelujah, let me tell you, but now what? I've been made nigh. <laughs> well, I asked a simple question, didn't I? How far was far? Let me ask you another question. How nigh is nigh? How nigh have I been brought? <laughs> well, it's the Greek word eggcho. It literally means to squeeze near. You get it? <laughs> In the Greek, to squeeze near. I've been brought nigh. How nigh? Number one. I've been brought as nigh. In scripture language, I've been brought as nigh as a graph into a tree. <laughs> Amen. Romans chapter 11. Let me tell you how nigh I've been brought. I've been brought nigh as a graph in a tree. Number 7, uh, chapter 11 of the book of Romans, verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Brother, that's near. That's near. I mean, I've been brought so near. I've been brought so near. I've been grafted in so that I'm so near. I'm literally drawing, sucking my nutrients out of that original vine. I've been brought that near. I've been brought that nigh. <laughs> Oh, but that's this. Oh, listen. I'll tell you how near I've been brought. I've been brought as nigh as a graph in a plant. But secondly, back to Ephesians chapter 2, I've been brought nigh as nigh as a fellow citizen. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, listen, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise. <laughs> oh, I was an alien. I was foreigner. But because of this blood, I've been brought nigh. I've been made an heir. I've been made a citizen in this country. Verse 19, that same chapter now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Brother, I've been brought in. I've been brought nigh. I'm in the family. I belong in this citizenship. <laughs> oh, how nigh, how nigh is nigh? 
Well, how nigh have I been brought, Brother Paul? Well, let Brother Paul tell me. Number three, I've been brought as nigh as a new creation in him. I read you the words of Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Oh, listen, Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Listen how nigh I have been brought to him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. Oh, I've been brought so nigh. I've been brought so nigh that I've been made a new creature. A new creature. Fourthly, I'll leave it at that. How nigh is nigh, brother? How long? How nigh can I've been brought? Oh, listen to me. I've been brought so nigh that I'm in his very bosom. Oh, hallelujah. In his very bosom. John, what a precious word. John said in John chapter 1 and verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared Him. Now listen to me. This is good, simple logic. You children studied logic in school. If I'm in Him, if I'm in Him, and he is in the Father's bosom. Guess where I am? I'm in the Father's bosom. That's how near I am. That's how near I've been brought. I've been brought nigh. I've been brought nigh. And brought as nigh as a graft and a plant. Drawing from the same nutrients. Oh, I've been brought nigh. I've been brought nigh as a graph in a plant. I've been brought nigh as a fellow citizen. I've been brought as nigh as a new creation. I've been brought right into the very bosom of God. There couldn't be a greater scene in my mind. I know people are different. But in my mind, the most precious and affectionate scene of communion and bonding that can be seen is when a mother holds her child to her bosom presses that darling face to her bosom and holds it there oh that's close that's close it can't get closer than that that's how nigh I've been brought into the very bosom of God whoa but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far have been brought nigh. How nigh? Oh, so nigh. But then I'll give you a third question to be answered from this text. Exactly how is this incomprehensible, inexplicable miracle accomplished how's it done how could it be how could I be brought from so far and brought so near how could I do it well the text tells us doesn't it by the blood by the blood hallelujah 
by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hymn book has these blessed words. Steele wrote these blessed words. Stretched on the cross, the Savior dies. Hark his expiring groan arise. See from his hands, his feet, his side, descends the sacred crimson tide. And didst thou bleed for sinners bleed? And could the son behold the deed? No, he withdrew his cheering ray, and darkness veiled the morning day. Can I survey the scene of woe, where lingering grief and mercy flow, and yet my heart so hard remain, unmoved by either love or pain? Come, dearest Lord, thy grace impart. To warm this cold, this stupid heart Till all its powers and passions move In melting grief and ardent love Why? Because of his blood He's shedding his blood The very next hymn says Stricken, smitten, and afflicted Lo, he dies upon the tree Tis the Christ my man rejected Yes, believers, yes, tis he Tis the long-expected Savior, David's Son, and David's Lord, sacrificed to bring us favor. Tis a true and faithful word. Tell us, tell us, ye who heard him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, foes insulting his distressing. Many hands conspired to wound him. None would intervene to interpose to save. But the heaviest stroke that found him was the stroke that justice gave. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears this awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Lamb of God for sinners wounded sacrifice which cancels guilt. None shall ever be confounded who upon thee their hopes have built. How did such a thing happen? How could I be carried from so far to so near? It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh. Dear old Robert Lowry in 1876 wrote that wonderful hymn. We love to sing it, don't we? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I just give you the references. You know them well. You know the scriptures well. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God, being justified freely, listened by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. How? Through faith in his blood. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. For scarcely a righteous man will one die, 
Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I won't take the time to look at all these scriptures, Ephesians 1, 5 through 7, Colossians 1, 12 through 14, that precious, precious book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. What is it saying? It's the blood. It's the blood. The blood. That's how. That's how. That's how. Oh, but now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were fall are made now. How? By the blood of Christ. By the way, don't forget in that Old Testament typology, the blood not only had to be shed, it had to be sprinkled. <laughs> they call us, they say, you're a hyper-Calvinist. No, no, no. See, a hyper-Calvinist believes it just needs the blood to be shed. We believe it needs to be shed and sprinkled. There has to be salvation experience brought by the gospel. It's got to be sprinkled on that altar. One final question before leaving this text. I would bring one more simple question to your heart this morning. How sure is this move? He said, I was far off. I've been made nigh. And it's by the blood. But I want to ask this question. How sure can I be about this? How sure can I be about this move? Well, look again at our verse. And note the wording. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. Ooh, are made. Kinomahi in the Greek, it literally means to generate, to cause to be. When we declare this salvation to sinners, we don't say, well, you it could be that the sinner could be saved. It might be that the sinner could be saved. No, I say to you by the word of God, it is absolutely sure that the sinner will be saved in Christ. There is no could be, maybe, should be. It's absolutely certain. The apostle said in Christ, you are made nigh. <laughs> Boy, there's a definiteness about that that I love. There is a sad theology in our world today that says your salvation is just as sure as your decision. Hmm. 
Dear Lord, please deliver my soul from having my eternal destiny hinged on my decisions. My feeble, frail, fallacious decisions. No, no, my salvation is far more certain than to be hanging on my decisions. <laughs> Amen. Oh, blessed Lord. <laughs> Makes me think of that poem somebody gave me years ago. I carry it in front of my Bible. It says, Arminian grace, how strange a sound. Salvation hinged on me. I once was lost, then turned around, was blind, then chose to see. What grace is this that calls for choice out of some good within? The part that willed to heed God's voice proved stronger than my sin. I made my choice while being dead. What glory should be mine? While bound in sin from foot to head, the chains I loosed just fine. My heart was stoned, my soul was lost, but that would prove no threat. I had the will to pay the cost, banish my regret. Through many ardent gospel pleas, I sat with heart of stone, but then some hidden good in me propelled me toward my home. When we've been there 10,000 years because of what we've done, <laughs> we've no less days to sing our praise and brag before God's throne. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, no. My salvation's not hinged on what I decided. Oh, bless His holy name. I have been made. Nah. You see, it was a divine act. It's what God did. Josiah Condor, you know it well, in the early 1800s penned that beautiful hymn. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin which stained me hast cleansed and set me free. Of all thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. T'was sovereign mercy found me and taught my opening mind. This world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none before thee. For thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. Hallelujah. Oh, listen to me. It's sure. It's certain. It's absolutely certain. I have the greatest certainty because I didn't do it. God did it. He said, you've been made nigh. Been made nigh. By the blood. John 6 verse 38. 
He said, boy, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Verse 39, listen what it is. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. (laughs) Amen. Bless his holy name. It's because he did it. Our wonderful old Baptist confession of faith says this in chapter 8 concerning the doctrine of the mediator. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, according to the covenant between them both and be the mediator between God and man, prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church, heir of all things, judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. God did that. God did that. God did that. Covenanted within himself to do that. Paragraph 8 in that chapter says, To all those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he doth certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them. Uniting them to himself by his spirit. Revealing, revealing unto them in and by the word the mystery of salvation. Governing their hearts by his word. Overcoming their enemies without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. Can I just tell you? Can I just tell you something about the certainty? Of this transfer from far off to up nigh. The certainty of it rests on the very covenant of God. Within himself. Not a covenant I made. No, no. It's the covenant he made. Could I just say it to you another way and I'll close? How sure is this nighness? Like that word, I made that word, nineness. Don't, don't Google that. You won't find it. I say to you, it is as sure as the blood that bought it and as sure as the covenant that wrought it. How sure is my salvation, brother? It's not as sure as my decision. It's not as sure as my will. No, no. It's as sure as the blood that bought it and the covenant that wrought it. That's how sure my salvation is. Oh, no wonder. John Stevens in 1808 said this wonderful hymn. I had it stuck in the back of our other old hymn book. John Stevens said, Eternal election preserves me secure. I live by that sovereign decree. 
Redeemed by my Savior and called by His power, I worship the covenant three. Tis grace unexpected. My spirit now sings, emerging from the regions of night. My heart put in tune to celestial things gives praise for the dawning of light. From chambers of death and defilement I rise. My robes of pollution lay by. New clothed by my Savior approved in his eyes. I sing of his friendship with joy. I did not suppose it. <laughs> but now I believe. He died as a surety for me. Through his crucifixion by faith I receive. Salvation completed and free. When Adam, our father, revolted and fell, mankind became guilty and dead. Free grace still prevented from falling to hell the members who stood in their head. Hallelujah. Covenanted in eternity past. The Father, Jesus said, it's not his will that I lose any that he gave me. <laughs> For all thy rich gifts, we would bless thee, O Lord, but chiefly for heavenly food. Thy pardoning grace and thy quickening word, these prompt now the song. Thou art good. Isn't that what Brother John was praying earlier? Oh, the Lord's so good. So good. He was praying, but he said, Lord, most of all, this salvation. What a gift. Oh, how sure is it? It's as sure as the blood that bought it and the covenant that wrought it. That's how sure it is. It sure is the eternal purposes of God in Christ. I read again and close. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Turn with me again in your hymn book, if you will, please. And Stand and we sing together. Number 252. Two fifty two. Now to the Power of God supreme, be everlasting honors given. He saves from hell, we bless his name. He guides our wandering feet to heaven. Not for our duties or deserts, but of His own 
abundant grace. He works salvation in our hearts and forms our people for his praise. Twas his own purpose that begun to rescue rebels doomed to die. He gave us grace in Christ his Son before he spread the starry sky. Jesus the Lord appears at last and makes his Father's counsels known. Declares the great transaction past and brings immortal blessings down. He dies and in that dreadful night did all the powers of hell destroy he rose and brought our heaven to life and took possession of the joy